This week on the Off the Crossbar podcast. Game one is in the books and the Saskatchewan Rush, well, they ran away with things. What adjustments will both teams make heading into game two? Evan Kirk, well, was he that much better than Matt Vince? NCAA Finals went this weekend. We got a coin toss on Saturday, and Marty O'Neill joins us from a fair. All that and more on OTCB. Those were the sounds of 11-plus thousand fans chanting, We want the cup. At Sastel Center, as the final seconds wound down in game one of the National Lacrosse League finals, and the rush won it 16-9. And it could be the last time the rush fans see their team live at Sastel Center. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the Off the Crossbar podcast here on SoundCloud and NLL Radio. My name is Teddy Jenner. You can find me on Twitter at Off the Crossbar, or you can email me, teddy.jenner at gmail.com. Love to hear from you. Great chatting with fans from all over the world. And it could be over this weekend. And I'm not sure how many people are expecting it to go past this weekend. As we discussed last week on this show, not many people We're giving the Rochester Nighthawks any chance against the Rush. And if you looked at how that game played out on Saturday, you would probably have to agree with them. While it was close after the first, once the Rush started their seven-goal run, there was no way the Rochester Nighthawks were able to get back on track, no way to slow down the train that was moving forward, and they didn't have an answer for the offense, nor... Did they have an answer for Evan Kirk? We'll get into some of the highlights and intricacies from that game. Uh, As mentioned off the top, Marty O'Neill will join us later on to talk about the finals, talk about goaltenders in the finals. We'll talk about expansion goalies, and we'll also touch base on his trip to Prague. Uh, I think it's his second or third time that he's been there, and he just absolutely loves it, as everybody does who's been to Prague. So we'll talk to Marty O'Neill shortly. But obviously the focus is on the National Lacrosse League and Game 2 that comes up this Saturday from the BCA in Roch, Vegas. And it's going to come down to the little things. And when you look at the way that Saturday night's game uh, played out, you would have to think that Rochester needs to find a different game plan. For much of that first quarter, their game plan worked. Slow the pace down, get this game in the mud, don't let Saskatchewan get their wheels on dry ground and start making this a track meet. It was 2-2 after the first. Thompson and Cornwall, two transition goals for the rush. Hossick and Shanks, two youngsters, putting the ball in the net for the Nighthawks. And as Tyson Geick pointed out on Twitter Tuesday, That Graham Hossick unassisted goal was the only point the Nighthawks got out of their back end. 14 points were scored by the rush out of their back end, and that was a massive, massive difference in that game. What it led to was transition opportunity after transition opportunity after transition opportunity. Fast breaks from Evan Kirk all the way out. Guys picking up loose balls and just running the floor and just taking the green light that Derek Keenan had has given them, and they took full advantage. Jeff Cornwell may have played one of the best games of his career. Uh, he had two goals in the contest and was just an absolute beast out there. Ten loose balls to lead everybody in the game, and he had an assist to go along with his two goals. And it just goes to show, again, the depth of this Saskatchewan team. And we talked about it last week. We're going to continue to talk about it this week, and that is that depth of teams is going to be important as you go on in the year, and the Saskatchewan Rush are the deepest in the entire National Lacrosse League. They are 17 deep, and the guys that are healthy and not playing are just as good 
if not better, most notably the man they call Dangerous Dan Dawson. And I know a lot of people were all over this on social media over the weekend that it's just unfathomable to think that Dan Dawson, as good as he is, is a healthy scratch on the Saskatchewan team. That is how good and deep this club is. And Rochester is going to have to find a way to combat that. They get to go home this weekend in front of the BCA crowd, some familiar faces, some familiar environments, but it's still going to be a very tough task ahead of them to knock off the Saskatchewan rush. Post-game, after game one, Craig Ribzinski caught up with Cody Jamison after the game and asked him what they can take from game one and use as motivation going into game two. I don't think we need any added motivation. Uh, you know, it uh, comes down to a do-or-die game, and, uh, you know, but kind of it kind of seems weird. You know, it's, we're, we're in a position that we've been in all year. You know, uh, we can't lose another game, and we felt that, um, you know, eight games into the season we were kind of playing for our lives. So, and, uh, you know, we kind of took that mindset that we can't lose another game. Um, every game has is a must win, and it really is now. So I don't think uh, – I think we take some positives out of this game. We throw out the negatives, and let's uh, – no, we can't lose again. When you guys were, uh, when the offense was clicking in, in spurts, especially early on, what things were you doing well? I just thought we were, we were moving the ball well and moving our feet. Uh, a few shifts there when we didn't do that, uh, you know, they're gotten passing lanes and they picked off passes and, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're a real good team and, uh, you know, we got to play at our best to beat them and, you know, tonight we didn't play at our, at our best and we had a few mental lapses. Um, so that's why they came out on top. Game two is in front of the Rochester fans who are rabid fans. They haven't seen a championship game since 2014. Um, how nice is it to know that you have their backing as you go into game two in a must win? Yeah, we're excited to get back to our home turf. You know, uh, you know they really do a good job here in Saskatchewan uh, You know, with the home floor advantage. Um, it gets loud, it gets crazy, and they, they feed off that. So we're, you know, we're uh, looking forward to getting back on our home, home floor and uh, you know, giving them a taste of uh, what we're like. That was Jammer post-game from SaskTel after the rush knocked off the Nighthawks 16-9 in Game 1 of the NLL Finals, Game 2, this Saturday from the BCA. And you heard Jammer say it off the top. You know, there were some good things they did to start that game. They moved their feet. They moved the ball. They got back on defense in transition. They didn't allow the rush to gain momentum. And that was when the first quarter ended. Because once that second quarter started and the rush started to get their feet underneath them, they started to get the crowd into the game, it all slowly started to go downhill, and it started with a hat trick from Robert Church. Under eight to play in the first half, 15 more seconds to kill. They go for a shorty, and Robert Church converts. Even at four in the second quarter. Church had the shot, knocked out by Billy D. Smith. Stick with the play. Two straight goals for Robert Church. Another two-goal run. The fourth in a row. This one is Saskatchewan, and the lead belongs to the rush. Chatler cut through. Couldn't get the pass. Here's Church. Three in a row. Yes. It's the Robert Church show here in the first half, and the rush have a two-goal lead. That hat-trick marker from Robert Church was his third goal in three minutes and three seconds was the first time any team had scored three goals in a row. It gave the rush a two-goal lead and started a seven-goal run that spanned the end of the second and the start of the third quarter, and that was pretty much the ball game. The Nighthawks were unable to get themselves back into the contest. They were never really within a handful of goals. I think the closest they made it was four in that fourth quarter. And they just didn't have an answer for the transition game and the offense of the rush. Surprisingly, one area where Rochester did really well against Saskatchewan was on the penalty kill. The rush went incredibly one for seven. One for seven. They hadn't been two or three goals off of a perfect night on the power play all year long. And in game one of the of the finals, they go one for seven. So there's maybe a bit of a bright spot that the Nighthawks can take in a game two. Sure, they don't want to be in the box as much as they were. I'm sure Billy D. Smith will have a talking to 
from Mike Hazen as he picked up six minutes in penalties with about six minutes to go in that contest. And I, like many other people, had never seen one player get six minutes, three separate minors all in a row. And then as soon as he got out of the box, he took another one. So he had eight minutes in penalties in the final seven minutes of the lacrosse game. And I'm sure Mike Hazen will be very strict with his team and saying we cannot afford to take penalties against this club, especially eight minutes in the span of seven. So what else went right for the Saskatchewan rush? Well, if you remember last week, I said the one thing they needed to do was control Jake Withers. Now, while Withers went 20 of 28 at the draw, he only had five loose balls, so many of those face-offs he was winning to his teammates. He had no assists and no goals. So that's a huge positive, especially when you go to the other side of the face-off dot and you look at Jeremy Thompson. Sure, 7 for 24, had four loose balls, but also chipped in a goal and an assist. And that just goes back to the point where we were making about the rush being so deep on the back end that they get contributions from everybody. For the Nighthawks, they need Jake Withers to score goals. They need Hossick and Magnin and Scotty Campbell and Brad Gillies, all those guys. They need them to chip in. And when they don't, the team sort of lags because that offense can only do so much. Yes, Cody Jameson is going to get his points. He had six, a goal and five assists. Kyle Jackson, a goal and three assists. But Eric Fennell, two and two, he was the guy who scored the most goals for your club. Good on him, but that's a rookie stepping in and playing big minutes. And they have a lot of rookies out the front door for the Rochester Nighthawks. But Vitarelli, one goal. Reza Terrence, one goal. Jammer, one goal. Jackson, one goal. They need those guys to be putting up two and three goals a game if they're going to force a game three. And parts of me thinks they will, but a lot of me says they won't. I just don't think they have the ability to keep up the pace that Saskatchewan is going to set. Because when Saskatchewan gets running and you get the contributions out of the back end like they got, two points from Messenger, three points from Cornwall, those are the guys that chip in. Ryan Dilks with a pair of assists. When you get those guys contributing, you're going to have a lot of success. Now, the one person we haven't talked much about is Evan Kirk. And we're going to talk about goaltenders with Marty O'Neill in a minute once we kind of finish this last little subject. Evan Kirk was good. Nine goals against, 44 shots, 35 saves. He wasn't overly busy. His busiest quarter was probably the third where he made 10 saves. 10 saves was the least amount of saves that Vino had to make in that contest, and that was the fourth quarter. He was busiest in the first where he made 15, but that was kind of his night. He was the busier of the two. He faced 64 shots, gave up 16. Angus Goodleaf came in for a brief 14-second spell. Vino went right back in. I was actually very surprised that Hazer put him back in. Now, that could have been Matt Vince telling his coach, put me back in, I'm okay. But having seen Angus Goodleaf come in as relief for Vino and playing well and helping his club win games, I was quite surprised that they didn't stick with Ang Bang 55. And maybe... Mike Hazen has a shorter leash in game two. Maybe Matt Vince won't even put him in that position and he'll come out and play absolutely stellar, which is always possible when Matt Vince is between the pipes because, let's be honest, he still is one of the world's best goaltenders, hands down. However, in my opinion, there are moments in the lacrosse game where you can see Matt Vince derailing. And I asked Marty O'Neill this question in the interview, and he'll give his thoughts. But to elaborate on my point, anybody that has played with Matt Vince or against Matt Vince 
knows that he likes to be very vocal towards his defense. He likes to hold guys accountable. And there were a number of times in that game where plays happen, and as soon as the whistle blows, the official's arm goes up, and Vince realizes that it's a goal, he is looking for somebody to point a finger to. And there are times, granted, where he is absolutely right. Guys miss loose balls in front. Guys aren't picking up their checks or their assignments, leaving guys open or not collapsing. I get that. But there are other times where he yells or points a finger at a player or he goes directly at the referee, and I think that upsets the apple cart too much. I think there's too much emotion in Matt Vince's play, and it not only takes him out of his zone, but takes everybody else on the floor out of theirs as well because once one finger starts getting pointed, more will get pointed, and it goes back and forth. And when you have that sort of rift between your players and your team, it doesn't usually end well for you, especially when your goaltender is losing it on the officials for no apparent reason. Case in point, the Mike Messenger goal. Skittered at home, Kirk airs it out, up the floor to Messenger, bobbled it once, has his footing, Messenger the spin, and he scored! Uh, Vince doesn't like this. He is livid. Livid indeed, as Vince would go right at the official and have words for him and truly no idea what he said. Maybe he was complaining about a crease call. Messenger was clearly not in it. Who knows? But it's moments like that when you can see a player has completely lost it. And to his case, or his credit, it's not like Vino blew a complete gasket. He was just upset and frustrated. But for me, that happens sometimes too often for Matt Vince. And when he does do that, not only does he take himself out of the game, but he really takes momentum and energy away from his team because everybody sees him acting the way that he does. So for when I look at it and when I'm coaching youth players, you know, yes, there are times when you can be frustrated and upset at a call, but there are moments when you need to keep a level head and just let the goal be gone. Forget about it, move on, refocus. That's one of the things I've always admired about Aaron Bold is that whenever a goal happens, he quickly replays it in his mind, goes through the motion, and then forgets about it. And for Matt Vince, I just think there's times where he gets too caught up in the energy and emotion of things, and it takes him out of the zone of playing lacrosse and being a top-level goaltender. And when he's fired up at the refs and he's pointing fingers at his players, his game tends to go downhill. So if they're going to be successful in Game 2 at home this Saturday, Rochester is going to need Matt Vince to not only be a wall in a physical meaning, but also mentally he's going to need to be a wall. Everything has to bounce off of his brain and be gone. He can't dwell on a goal that gets by him. He can't dwell on a missed call by an official. He just has to find a way to mentally forget about it and move on and focus on the next play. As the late Chris Hall used to say, what's next, what's next, what's next? Forget about the past. Focus on your next opportunity to make a play for your team. And I think Matt Vince will be a better in game two. He'll be focused. He'll be prepared mentally and physically as he always is. And I think he'll be able to rein himself in. He just needs to get a little more help from his defense. And I think he just needs to be able to stay calm, composed, and in the moment. Because it's not too often that we see Matt Vince have back-to-back bad games. Sure, there was that stretch earlier in the season where he basically lost five of six games and was pulled in that sixth contest. So he went through a bit of a tough stretch, as did that entire Rochester team Uh, from week four on. But ever since then, he's only taken one loss since February 11th. He's been pulled twice, but he's only had one loss, and that was against New England in the second-to-last game of the year. So this is his first loss since April 21st, almost a whole month. He's only lost two games since February. 
So expect a much different Matt Vince than we saw in game one because he indeed will need to be better. I think everybody on that roster needs to be better, and they all can agree because it wasn't their night in game one. They're going to have to be better for game two, and I think we're going to see a very inspired Rochester team come Saturday. Now, question, will we see Billy D. Smith in the lineup? I don't think you can take him out, but the loss of Sid Smith was very evident on that back end. We don't know the true extent of his injury that saw him be put on the injured reserve right before game time. So if they can get Sid Smith back and he's healthy, then maybe you see him slot in for Billy D. Smith because um, Billy D. Smith didn't have his greatest lacrosse game. But I think you still need Billy D.'s size, leadership, and defensive abilities to block shots out there. So it'll be interesting to see what they do. Maybe they take Frank Brown out and put Sid in. Maybe they take Billy out and put Sid in. But we'll have to see. And I expect as long as he's healthy or close to healthy, I think you'll see Sid Smith in action for game two as his team tries to force a deciding game three in the National Lacrosse League Finals. Again, game two goes this Saturday from Rochester. You can watch it live on NLL TV or Twitter. Uh, I caught the game on Twitter, uh, and I watched it through my PlayStation 4 on my TV. It The stream was flawless. It was a crystal clear game, and I quite enjoyed it. I know there were some people who had some issues uh, on the NLL TV stream through the web, um, but the Twitter feed was crystal clear. Uh, 5 o'clock face-off, Pacific time. I'm thinking about me. Uh, 8 o'clock Eastern time, Saskatchewan-Rochester from the BCA, June 2nd, this Saturday. If a Game 3 is forced, it'll be on the 9th from Sastel. As mentioned, I caught up with the world traveler, Marty O'Neill, who's been to China, been to Europe, back to Delta, now coming over to the island to coach some minor lacrosse here in Victoria. Well-traveled, a little tired. When I caught up with him, he had just gotten on the 3 o'clock ferry from Vancouver to Victoria. So please don't mind the announcements that are in the background. That just comes with the territory. When Marty and I first started talking, the first question I asked him, what were his thoughts of game one? It was kind of Kind of what I was expecting, but not hoping for. I was hoping for, I mean, I kind of pull for the underdogs. I wouldn't, I wouldn't say I'm, I care who wins, but, you know, yeah. I'd love to see Rochester throw a scare into to, uh, Saskatchewan's plan. And last year was pretty good drama, you know, yeah. <laughs> the way the finals yeah. went. I really didn't expect it, but when it happened, it was like, wow, that was, uh, that was pretty exciting the way it all went down with the swarm. So, you know, I just was hoping for. A, a couple of good lacrosse games and a two-game final, and uh, it really wasn't. I, I just, you know, it's one of those things where you, you, you're, you're watching Las Vegas and you're gonna, you're kind of going like, when's your ticket up? And it's, and it's not yeah. going out, you know. But uh, this is a different sport, and definitely Rochester could could pull something out here. But when they played the Swarm in the Eastern Final, their offense was really having a hard time with the Swarm defense, which was almost as good as the rushes, but, mm-hmm. but not, not quite the same league, but the same style of sort of pressing and in your, in your space all the time. And, you know, you've really got to pick and roll and use a clock and break them down. And, and I just don't think that Rochester has enough size up front. I mean, even look at last game, Eric Fennell's getting two goals, but you're, you're having a hard time seeing Jackson even get a shot to, or could get a shot to. And, and, uh, so, you know, I mean, anything can happen, but, uh, but just every, you look the transition to try and equal a, the playing field and, you know, and Saskatchewan's got a leg or two up in that department. Yeah. The offense and the power play and Saskatchewan's got a leg or two up in that department. And you look at the defense and, and you know, I just think that the way that Saskatchewan plays Rochester's defense, it's, it's um, or sorry, the way that Saskatchewan's offense matches up against Rochester's defense, it, it's just a little bit more than vice versa. So, uh, you know, uh, I really don't like Rochester's chances. Is it a matter of, like, we, we've we talked about speed and how the Saskatchewan speed is just that much better 
uh, than the other teams in National Crossing. They run so well. How can Rochester slow that down? Because it's not an easy task. And it's funny because Rochester, even though they're they're not, you know, you wouldn't rank them as one of the top transition teams in the league, but they've done really well in transition. Mm -hmm. Looking at Scotty Campbell, who we both know quite well, 2005 swarm first round draft pick, and and uh, and, you know he's getting up the floor and sniping goals and big ones, and and you know Luke Magnan, who's become one of my favorite players to watch, just because he's come out of nowhere and he he seemingly is getting better all the time. Another guy who's just like fun to watch, Gillies, is, is yeah. you know, kind of quietly been putting balls into the back of that for a couple of years and, and is underrated and got good size and speed. And, you know, uh, Rochester does have some guys who can get up the floor, but, you know, and Saskatchewan's got twice as many. And, and again, I think it's just Saskatchewan has size to their speed, and that's, mm-hmm. and it's, it's across the board, you know, and, and, and some of the smaller guys are, Sorchetti and, and Billich and uh, and they're both pretty physical guys and, and they're only a couple of inches shorter than you know they're run of run of the mill six foot three two hundred and fifteen pound guys. <laughs> uh, th- these are two they're they're very evenly matched teams, but obviously you can give a uh, decided edge to Saskatchewan in most of the categories. Maybe one area where Rochester wins it is in goal. How did you like the mental preparation and play of Matt Vince in that game? I think Matt gave them what they needed to to have a good start, and you know something has to give under pressure, and 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 he still kept it close, and it was still kind of a game really there in the second half. I mean that seven goal run, that's 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 um, all on on the, the team. That's mm-hmm. not anything that Vince did or didn't do, and, and I thought he was solid. I didn't think any, he gave up really any weak goals and you know most goalies do have a couple in a game and and so you know he's doing everything he can do i mean in that swarm final he was he was unbelievable i mean it yeah, could have yeah. gone it could have gone that way against him in that game and he just said no and uh and and the most impressive thing about him is that his experience lets him just ride it out he he's making them score good goals and i'm thinking of that Miles Thompson goal from no angle that he ripped in the top corner as hard as he could from about 10 yards out in the, in the Eastern final. Yeah. I mean, that, that couldn't have been placed any better. And, and because he had the velocity, there was no time to react because he was quite close to the net. And, and you know, as a goalie, that's a goal you're going to give up, even though it was a kind of a weird angle goal. I mean, it was a perfect shot. And, and it's seemingly perfect shots that are going in on, on Vince. There was a good screen goal early. I think first goal of the game, you know, defenseman's kind of played it sloppy. Uh, there's a couple I saw that were just inside the pipe. I mean, uh, he's he's not guessing. He's not starting to try and win it, win the whole series or win the game for for his team and and uh, opening up and and then you know moving the wrong way on balls and that kind of thing. So that's what's impressive to me is that he's 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 just going to do what he does. That's what happens when you get to be 35 and you played in the league for 10 years and had a lot of success. Is that you're the same goalie every night, every game, every practice, and whatever happens to you at the end of the night, you know that you're the same goalie coming back next game or next practice, and, and you you just do what you do. And that's the beauty of, uh, of experience. But he gives them that in spades. So to make a long explanation longer, <laughs> that's, that's, that's where they win out because Kurt yeah. just doesn't have that experience, and he's just not that goalie. Not yet. Um you were a very animated and aggressive goaltender in your day. You know, you were known to vary or vary from your crease at times. And Matt Vince is fairly similar. He, he gets very animated and he often points fingers or is upset with the referee. As a guy who played the position, does that take you out of your game? Because oftentimes when, you know, offensive players or defensive players let their mind get distracted by the officials, they get taken out of their game. For a guy like Matt Vince, do you think, you know, I look back to the, the messenger goal where he immediately goes right at the official and yells at him. Does that take a goalie out of their game, or does that show that he's just into the game that much? In his case, he's definitely into the game that much. Yeah. He's, he's, he's not... He's not phased by those things. I mean, it would take a lot to, to get him to be off his game. And, and you know, he, again, is, is 
I think, a little bit emotional when he plays. You can see he's upset when goals go in, and he's, you can see his, his chin popping, which means he's barking. And, and uh, that's a regular occurrence of him. That could, that could be any game, not just the playoff game. So, again, I, I don't think he's, he's doing anything different. He's so secure in himself. That's, that's the anchor for the, for the Nighthawks. They know, you know, he can – he can uh, maybe pull them through and, and, you know, playing at home where they're 15 feet shorter than any other rink and quite a bit smaller rink. I think they might have to come up with some kind of zone defense and really just try and pack the lanes and, and let him see some outside shots and start eating them up and, and then just take their chances at the other end and hopefully get a, a couple outside screeners. You know, I watched a game in Rochester earlier this year and Vince was out or Kirk was out by halftime. So um, that's kind of what they got to, hope and play for to, to see if they can steal a game here. Uh, let's talk about Evan Kirk because I think that's where a lot of people think that the rush may have uh, a little bit of disadvantage. He doesn't have the championship experience that Matt Vince does in the National Cross League at least, but is this a guy that is being underrated in his position? Uh, it's hard to say. I mean, two years ago he was very good on a, on a Black Hole team that wasn't as good as their record and, and you know, he had to make a lot of quality saves. Now he's in the exact opposite role. Now he has to make, um, you know, the required save and try not to do too much. And I think if anything, he's guilty of trying to, to, to move too much sometimes or move too early. And, and, uh, and he lets some balls through him and short side that, you know, he might want to have back, but uh, I don't think he's a factor in, 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 Say a rush letdown. I mean, he's stopping mm-hmm. enough enough quality shots that, that they're right where they should be. He's he's a seventy eight to eighty percent goalie on that team, and and uh, and so it's really comes down to if Rochester can generate enough quality shots or screen shots or transition shots uh, that that they can get better chances to score more goals. If Aaron Bold is between the pipes for the rush, are they in the same position? Yes. Uh, I mean, Aaron's got a lot more experience and, um, you know, last year, again, I think, I think, you know, I'm I'm not saying this myself, but I know that I've heard that the rush kind of thought he let in some soft goals and Mm -hmm. maybe, or maybe not had a factor in why he has moved. But end of the day is that Evan Kirk and Bold interchangeable. I mean, they're, they're both, pretty solid veteran NL goalies and uh, both can have great games and both of them have, you know, shown inconsistencies in their game at times. So I think um, the, the biggest, the biggest thing is just for Kirk just to play within himself and not worry about it too much. And, uh, and, and I think that's the same for any goalie. It's even the same for Matt Vince. Does Matt Vince uh, steal one for Rochester this weekend and force game three? I don't know. I, I really just don't feel like Rochester's got enough in them here to, 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 to challenge the rush. I mean, they, they held on until halftime and they rushed on their, their sea legs and then they just got going. You know, seven goals without an answer in a championship final is, is pretty rough. So I I contend that this rush team really wants to not leave any doubt whatsoever on the table. They're not even they're playing against themselves here, as sort of said it before, that they're they're really there's no one standing in their way with themselves. If they perform the way they can, they can really hang it on any team in this league, I think. At halftime of game two, we'll have a coin toss between the Wings and the Seals to see who gets first overall pick in the entry class expansion draft. You've been a GM in this league. If you were Paul Day or uh, Patrick Merrill, which would you rather have? First the entry or first in expansion? Ooh, it's a pretty good uh, entry draft this year. So I think I get this announcement in the back right here. <laughs> the, the joys of oh yeah, the joys of traveling on BC Ferries. Yeah, uh, it depends, you know. When the swarm came in, I was faced with the first pick being Delby Palace, and it wasn't a it wasn't a real strong one, two, four, or five draft. Yeah, and I I I took him and then 
made it, had a deal for him before, or how he traded him to Buffalo, so he had a deal for him before the draft. So um, I think this year's draft, both teams might want to select the younger players that are available at one and two. And if not, they're definitely looking at what they can do um, to monopolize that player-wise, maybe get a couple of players, veteran players, for flipping or another lower first-round pick and something. So um, I think you got to take the entry draft player because you can do a lot with him, either keeping him or trading him. Yeah. Um, flipping to the expansion draft, obviously we don't know – the list of expansion players. Yep, we know there's going to be some old um, and some big names: Frank Giuliano, Tyler Carlson, um, Angus Goodby, and Steve Fryer, just to name a few. Uh, how important is it to get a quality goaltender for these two teams? It's uh, it's a pretty big deal, and uh, I know with the swarm, you know, I was able to get Matt Disher and Nick Patterson, <laughs> and uh, it really it really set up our our trajectory into being a competitive team. So yeah, um, and as we're seeing with Vince, you know, one guy can make a big difference in a, in a series of it may even appear to be a little bit one sided. So. Um, it's, it's, it's going to be interesting to see what goalies are are sort of signed, you know, because Tyler Richards is out there, mm-hmm. Pete Davinsky's out there, who I think is quite a good goalie, and because he's out of West and can't relocate, I think it really hampers his choice, chances to play in the league. Um, I think that's on Steve Fryer's shown this year that he can play, and He's been around for a while, so you know he's, he's kind of in a mature period in his life. And, and I think Tyler Carlson, who's you know just been in the backup role since he got to Edmonton, was mm-hmm. a starter and, and a very good one with uh, the Swarm. And uh, I thought he was kind of handled unfairly there as far as the the way the team put him a few times, got him in the back seat and then out, yeah. out of Georgia. So. Um, you know, and he proved himself. He, he he was better than Kirk and was the starter in the playoff games when, you know, that success back around 2012, 13, 14. So mm-hmm. I don't know if he can get back there. I know he's had a couple of kids since then. I know life changes when that happens. And I don't, I don't know if he's just gotten comfortable. Don't know how he's playing in the summer. But I really liked his game a while back. And uh, because he just... Tyler Carlson doesn't let in five-hole goals, and that is yeah. a rarity in the NFL. It's a real rarity, and, and he is really good at it. And he had some unbelievable games for the Swarm, like games that were by accident. He was just solid. Yeah. And again, he, he's one of those goalies who just makes you shoot good shots to get by him. But, uh, you know, he's he's been not starting and not playing much for three or four years, so he's kind of a bit of a mystery. And, and you know, another goalie that I think really – is a pretty good goalie. He's never got the chance. And same, the guy that Carlson got traded for is Gordy McDonald because he never got to play in Edmonton. He had to sit behind Bold and Keenan mm-hmm. Seamus for just riding one goalie all season long and years on end. And uh, you never know what Brody would have done if he'd been a guy who got to play all the time. And then when he got to Vancouver this year, you know, he he finally gets his chance. And uh, I'd heard through the grapevine that he got his chance in to play in New England and, uh, you know, some planes, trains, and automobiles to get to that rink. And he didn't get to the rink till four hours before the game. Yeah. He didn't even get there the night before and then he's starting and, and what have you. So I, I've seen him play some really good minutes for Georgia and, and for some reason he wasn't, he wasn't popular there. Uh, and, uh, and, uh, I, I think he's another really underrated goalie. If someone would just let him play five games and just let it ride, mm-hmm. they might they might find something there. But uh, again, you know, a lot of teams of a guy like Mike Poulin, he's gone from pretty inconsistent in Calgary to pretty consistent in Georgia. But you know, the, the stat line there of Georgia can put up 13 or 14 or 15 most nights, and and you can let in 10 or 11 or 12 and still win. So that makes a big difference. Uh, for a goalie trying to perform in, in a in a in different situations, you've listed off half a dozen goaltenders that are going to be available probably in the expansion draft. 
Um, but a lot of concern for people as this league expands. Um, and, and the commissioner said, you know, he wants to be a 30-team league in, in 10 years or so. Are there enough goaltenders? Maybe in 10 years there might be. But in the next wave of two to four expansion teams, are there enough elite, maybe not even elite, are there enough top-level goaltenders to, to provide solid goaltending as a number one as this league expands? I think so, because the problem with the NL is that nobody gets to play except for the top nine goalies, and maybe 10 or 11. And, you know, you'll see a guy like Zach Higgins pop in and out and do a great job in the first game for Calgary a couple of years ago, and you see him again do a great job coming in, you know, for Buffalo and winning mm-hmm. the game in Saskatchewan this year. And, you know, the guy can play. There's no tears about it. And, and same thing, he just needs to play 16 games and and. You know, so that's what Derek Keenan's really good at is, is making a goalie feel secure so he can just go out and play against the the, the guy at the other end of the team uh, that they're playing against, not mm-hmm. the guy on the bench that he's teammates with, which a lot of coaches make that mistake. So, I don't know. I mean, you know, uh, um, um, situations can, can make a big goalies for sure, but, but uh, expansion teams are or somewhere where you're going to need somebody who's got a little bit thicker skin, somebody who's a little bit more veteran-like, and and, uh, and maybe even two of them. So mm-hmm. it, uh, it, it's it's definitely something that I would be thinking about if I was expanding. And, and, you know, for the future, I think, you know, you're going to get some goalies out of um, senior A that, that haven't answered. You know, you won't know again until they get to play what they could do at, at the next level. But... Uh, how many times have we seen the NHL where a goalie comes up in the minors just for the playoffs and stands on his head and you yeah. know, comes right and the MVP of the family cup and he's at a Cornell University. So so uh, I think, you know, I've, I've I've seen a lot of goalies even over in Prague where I'm looking at someone like Jacob Myers, who's uh, the, the Czech goalie, and he's a pretty good little goalie. Yeah. You know, and then the, the 16-year-old kid behind him, he's he's pretty good little goalie too. Now he's in Canada trying to play, and, and there's also a Finland kid over here trying to play. Those kids grow up playing with a plastic stick and a four by four and that uh, from the time they start playing. So well, they're almost fine tuned already for the pro game. And I think, you know, we're going to start seeing American kids who have been playing. I think goalie is the one position where you can expedite uh, your, your pathway um, to higher level of lacrosse because you're good, not because you need to gain it. So you can just stand in there and learn how to play the, the sport and stop ball. So, Or be big, or be strong, or be you know what it takes. The offense, you know, it takes a lot of get the of maturity. So uh, I think I think we'll be fine with goalies. I think it's the player pool that will probably peter out after about four games. Yeah, I know you're in the middle of an ocean, so we're going to start to lose you pretty quick. But uh, before we let you go, Marty, uh, you mentioned Prague. You were over there for the Herbeski tournament. Um, it's something that everybody has on their bucket list or at least should have on their bucket list. How was your experience this year uh, in watching guys like Nick Patterson and Drew Candy and Gavin Prout uh, go over there and, uh, you know, kind of be the superstars in a, in a European field tournament? Yeah, well, the real superstar was actually Chad Kelp. He was, he was unbelievable, <laughs> and he, he, he captained and quarterbacked his team championship match. And kids watching him because it was fun to watch every shift how he was he was he was playing like everything else was in slow motion and he just he was able to create something pretty much every time he touched the ball so it's fun to see he still has um, some pretty good game in him but uh, I was really excited to watch some of the kids that that are pretty good ball players and there's there's some guys who are big and fast and and have skill sets that translate to pro lacrosse there's a couple of Finns, there's a couple of czechs um there's a couple of canadians there's some saskatchewan boys there's a guy named steve koparowski who who, you know he just i I think the one thing i i I know for a fact from developing americans back with the philadelphia the wings and we you know really lost half of our team after the expansion to four teams and retirement and is that guys that have good skills from playing other sports whether it be field lacrosse or hockey or what have you um they can they can speed up their timeline when they start practicing and playing at a pro level it's just they've got to be able to hang around for a while so be on a practice squad that kind of thing but 
I, I think even guys in Saskatchewan who have been playing senior B and junior B and, and haven't really been exposed to a lot of great lacrosse, you know, they, they could still be great athletes and, and they're big and strong and fast and maybe somebody could push them to get them to two or three levels higher and they could be an NL player in two years. So, um, you know, that's where we're going with all of this and, and Prague's just a great showcase for players from everywhere. There's some mm-hmm. American guys there are pretty good. You know, there's some grizzly veteran guys there that are pretty good. Uh, it's, it's, um, it's just an interesting mix when you get over there and it's fun to watch and, and the atmosphere is great. And two years ago was my first trip and, you know, I was kind of down on lacrosse in general, just, you know, I was kind of stagnant with nine teams or Canadian lacrosse association is receding and there's not a lot of good news to report around it. And then I went to Prague and it kind of reinvigorated my love for the sport and just, mm-hmm. you know, there's growth and there's, 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 there's a lot to love about it still. There's Marty O'Neill. You can find him on Twitter, MaxLax44. Uh, he makes his own goaltender gear and player gear. So if you got a youngster that needs some equipment, uh, check out Maximum Lacrosse. That's Marty's stuff. Uh, great stuff, as always, from Marty because the guy has been there, not just as a player. Uh, he's been through the rigmarole as a general manager. He's been through expansion. He's pretty much been through everything that you could imagine in the National Cross League. Um, he's seen the highs and the lows. He's seen guys in spandex. He's seen sold-out arenas. He's seen empty arenas. And so he knows what he's talking about. And he understands the game from a goaltender's perspective, which is often a very odd one, because goaltenders are the oddest people in the world. But he's very versed in picking apart games and understanding what's working and what's not and what teams have to do to be successful. But I loved our conversation about goaltenders in the future because, for me, that's always been a bit of a concern um, is not just the player pool but the goaltender position and where you're going to get high-level starting goaltenders for the next two, four, eight, ten teams, 15 teams, that the commissioner wants to bring in over the next decade or so. And Marty feels that that's not going to be the problem. The player pool will actually be the problem as expansion carries on. And I look forward to the day where a young player from Finland or the Czech Republic or England or Scotland or wherever does make it over to the the North American side of the pond does get a chance to crack an NLL roster and does become a full-time starter. You might see some of those guys at some of the NLL combines that are going to be coming up this summer. San Diego, Dallas, Philly, Toronto, Vancouver. If you can get to one of them, get to one of them. If you think you'd like to try your hand at the indoor game, no better opportunity with expansion coming to at least get your name on a radar for some teams and GMs. You may not be a guy who's NLL ready now, but if you can go in, get your feet wet, put in a good performance at one of these training camps and get you know some of the general managers talking around the water cooler, then maybe in two, three years you do get that call. Or maybe get a practice roster spot or at least an invitation to a camp. So while the growth of the game, super air quotes there, uh, when the as the growth of this game continues to expand and we get more and more tournament, tournaments like the Herbeski and the Lax All-Stars Invitational where you can get more and more guys playing high levels of box across, and more and more eyes on these kids, I truly believe that we'll see some more kids coming over from Europe or wherever to take their shot at the National Lacrosse League. I think a logical step, and I know some of these kids are starting to do it, is that if they are coming over from Europe, that they're trying out for some junior clubs, and with Junior B, all the rage now in BC, and of course in Ontario, 
I think you'll see some more roster spots open for those kids or some chances for those guys uh, to get some high-quality lacrosse playing done. And obviously that's what's going to need to happen for these guys to come over and get a legitimate shot is they're going to have to start to play some higher-level box lacrosse. The Herbeski and the Lax All-Stars Invitational, those are great opportunities and tournaments to play in. And you'll see former pros, current pros, guys who have never played in the NLL, college All-Stars, whatever they may be. You're going to get a handful of guys, a couple handful of guys at all these tournaments that turn some heads. And people are be like, oh, why is that guy not in the National Lacrosse League? That guy could totally play. Well, as of right now, it's a numbers game. But when we're at maybe a 15-team league, some of those guys that are head-scratchers will probably be in the National Lacrosse League. And Marty's got his finger on the pulse with a lot of those kids that are over there and a lot of the kids that are just, you know, trying to gain some traction, get some reps in. And who knows, maybe come some of these combines that the NLL is having across North America this summer, that some of those guys actually put up some good results, climb up the rankings of the draft chart, or maybe just become straight-up free agents and get an invite to camp. So while the goaltender pool may increase and may be better off and more stable than the player pool, I think a lot of those players that are in the pool are going to need to do a better job or going to need to do more to get themselves noticed. And when, like I said, the Herbeski, the Lax All-Stars, these combines, those are great opportunities for these kids to finally get noticed and maybe get an invite to roster to training camps to new teams, 40 new bodies in the National Lacrosse League. And there are going to be some familiar names that try and come back next year. There's going to be some unfamiliar names. I will not be one of them, just so we're clear. Will not be making a comeback. But you never know who will try and make a comeback. Maybe Gavin Prout tries to make a comeback. Maybe Chad Culp tries to make a comeback. I look at a guy like Nick Patterson, who's playing senior B here on the island for Nanaimo. He is still a very talented lacrosse goaltender and could easily still be in the National Lacrosse League if he wanted to. Speaking of Nanaimo, uh, Danny Walters, their senior B goaltender in Nanaimo, recorded a shutout this past week. 18 to nothing, Nanaimo beat Wally. And he recorded a shutout. So that's a very rare thing in high-level lacrosse, senior-level lacrosse. So shout-out to Danny Walters, who picked up a shutout. Shout-out for the shutout. Shout-out for the shutout, yeah. Shout-out for the shutout. And then I'm a Timmerman who will be hosting the Senior B President's Cup come the end of summer down in August up in the Hub City. I'm sure they'll be getting a few more bodies into their lineup inserted as the National Cross League ends, and they're able to convince a few guys to spend a summer on the Mid-Island. I believe Jeff Shatler will be one of them. So we'll keep you up to date on everything uh, as we get closer to the President's Cup, maybe we'll reach out to Sean Swanson and have him on the show. Um, I know we're going to try and get Chris Fox on the show because the World Junior Lacrosse Championships are coming to Canada, Saskatoon to be exact. And I believe it gets started August 8th, which is the second week of the month of August. And Chris Fox has been doing... A wonderful job getting sponsors on board, getting teams involved, volunteers in place. Uh, They've been doing media tours in Saskatchewan, uh, especially with everything going around around with the the rush. Um, So we're going to get Foxy on to talk about that. And, you know, uh, he's always got uh, some lacrosse business ideas to talk about, and he's always got ideas to help things get better. So uh, Foxy will join us in a couple weeks' time as we get set for the World Juniors that are going on in Saskatchewan. Again, another opportunity for some young players that may never been able to be on a stage like this to get their name out there. And there's going to be a ton of NLL GMs and uh, WLA and MSL GMs there 
looking at the next crop of young players coming through the system. And so the 2018 World Junior Lacrosse Championships in Saskatoon will be a fantastic opportunity for all of those young players to get a little recognition. Speaking of the summertime, uh, I know we still have one, maybe two National Lacrosse League games to be played, but I reached out to Ashley Dabb of the National Lacrosse League just to get an idea of where we are at with NLL awards and what the process was going to be as usual. Uh, and Ashley replied that they're targeting for July to have the off-season awards happen. Um, I don't know if they're going to do the same format as they have done before, where they announce three nominees and then a winner at the end of the year, or if they're just going to announce the winner. Um, still, details haven't been finalized yet. Still no word on anything about a Hall of Fame class. Again, as we all know, there was no 2017 class, which is still a head-scratcher. Uh, they've been, I've been told they're working on a new format for the voting process and how guys get in, but nobody from the league can give me a definitive answer of what they're doing, what it's going to look like, or when we're going to have a class of 2018 if we have a class of 2018. Let's move away from all that because that's another subject that's just going to get me fired up and I don't feel like going on a jumbo soapbox today. Other things that went on this weekend, of course, uh, the National Collegiate Athletic Association, the NCAA, had their final four, and boy, was it a tremendous weekend in Boston. Five of the six teams that won championships in men's and women's D1 through 3 were first-time winners. That's crazy. Five of six were first-time winners, including Yale, who outlasted Duke to win the men's NCAA final on Monday. And it is, again, just one of the spectacles of the lacrosse world to see college lacrosse played in an NFL stadium. Sure, it'd be awesome if it was just jam-packed to the top of the stadium. But there were solid crowds all weekend at the NCAA Final Four weekend. You had uh, the women's D2, D3, D1 finals, men's 1, 2, 3. It was a tremendous weekend. And what can you say about the performance by Yale over the weekend? Of course, on Saturday when they knocked off Albany, which not many people thought they'd be able to do, it was sort of a launching point for the Bulldogs. And... When they played Duke, they jumped out early. They were all over the Blue Devils, and they never really looked back. And congratulations to that entire coaching group, the school, the players, and everybody involved with the program as they win their first ever NC2A Field Lacrosse Championships. Maybe one day there will be a box championships. Maybe. Obviously, Colorado Box League, the Collegiate Box League, there is some growth and some movement towards that. Um, it's not exactly recognized by the NCAA, but uh, we have a lot of kids starting to play the indoor game. And so maybe one day we will actually have some sort of collegiate national championships in the indoor game played by college players with their college teams. You know, right now in Denver in the Colorado Collegiate Box Across League, basically everybody's in a pool and drafted to teams. But I think the hope maybe one day is that each college team will not only have a field team, but maybe even a box team. And so you can actually have a national box across championships in the college ranks. That would be something. Be interesting to see how teams do it and if they ever were to do it. But I think it would be kind of cool to have both a field lacrosse championships and a box lacrosse championships. We'll move on. Again, stuff way down the road. Things probably aren't being thought about, but just things that filter through my head. Of course, we're going to have a coin toss Saturday uh, during game two of the National Lacrosse League finals, Rochester and Saskatchewan, but Philadelphia general manager Paul Day will be on hand as will Patrick Merrill, the general manager of the San Diego Seals. Halftime, coin toss. And we'll figure out who gets the first overall pick in the expansion 
and the entry draft. Obviously, no team can have both, so whoever wins the coin toss, 95% chance they say, you know what, I'm going to take the number one pick in the entry draft. The other team can have the number one pick in the expansion draft, and which makes sense. You'd rather find the youth in that entry draft and get the number one pick. And I think the expansion draft, a lot of the players that will be taken in the expansion draft will be very geological, geographical is what I meant to say. You're probably not going to see Paul Day draft too many Western guys. You're probably not going to see Patrick Merrill and Steve Govett draft too many Eastern guys in that expansion draft. The entry draft is a different story, but the expansion draft, you're probably going to stay very regional. And it will be very interesting to see when those protected rosters come out, who's on it once they do. We'll do a full breakdown of it and maybe get a better idea of who's going to be picked because we know who will have first overall pick by then. And we're, we're probably not too far away from that expansion draft happening anyway. Probably at the end of June, maybe early July. Uh, I asked Paul Day about Austin Stotts today. And he believes he will be coming out and entering the draft, but it's still uh, a little too early to tell, and we're not really sure if he's going to or not. Um, it will be interesting to see. Uh, if Stotts comes out, it throws a wrench in that number one overall pick in the entry draft between Cloutier, Robinson, and possibly Audie Stotts. Uh, if he doesn't come out, uh, I think your number one overall pick will be a little clearer east to west. But again, until that happens, we will wait and see. One of my favorite times of year is when the Subway National Rankings come out, brought to you by Subway and Lacrosse Talk Magazine. It's also um, my favorite time of year because nobody likes these um, and everybody thinks they're completely wrong. So uh, if you want a better representation, maybe, in your opinion, of what's going on, in the Western Lacrosse Association. Check out the hashtag Jimway. Uh, those are the unofficial, unofficial Western Lacrosse Association rankings. Um, but according to Lacrosse Talk, uh, your senior A top seven teams, Peterborough, New Westminster, Six Nations, Victoria, Brooklyn, Maple Ridge, Langley. Now, obviously, when these came out, the MSL hadn't even start, hasn't started yet. They just got underway uh, the other night, so these don't really take into account. And, of course, the Western Lacrosse Association is just um, a few games in the books as well. So don't take a lot of stock in the 1 through 7 uh, of the senior rankings. But to the junior top 10, top two teams, BCLA teams. Salmon Bellies and Adnax, followed by the Toronto Beaches, Six Nations Arrows, the Mimico Mountaineers, Brampton Excelsiors, Victoria Shamrocks, Poco Saints, Saskatchewan SWAT, and the Burlington Chiefs. Those are your top 10. The Toronto Beaches is a shock at 4-1, the top of the Ontario Junior A Lacrosse League. And it's not too often you've ever seen the Beaches atop the ranks. So maybe some new blood flowing through the Ontario Junior System, and wouldn't it be nice to see some new blood at the Minto Cup that'll be in Calgary this year? So those are your rankings. You can find uh, them on my Twitter page. Um, I post them every week. Uh, love them, hate them, disregard them, don't even look at them, do whatever you want to do. Uh, I post them so that you can have the information of what people think are the rankings. In no way, shape, or form are they um, binding. In no way, shape, or form are they set in stone. And truly... They're just one person's opinion, not mine. They're one person's opinion on how they think the ranking should be. So take it as it is. As I always say, don't shoot the messenger. They're not actually my rankings. That'll about do it here on the Off the Crossbar podcast for another week, the last week of May. Next up is June. So enjoy the sunshine. We have Game 2 of the National Lacrosse League Finals on Saturday, 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific. Again, NLLTV.com, or you can watch it live on stream via Twitter. Brendan Glasheen and Brian Shanahan again 
will have the call. Don't know if they'll have uh, a third man between the benches for this game as they had in Saskatchewan. If they do, that person will join them. Um, if you want to listen to the Rochester call on the radio, you can find Craig Grabzinski as he calls each and every Rochester Nighthawks game. You can find him online. But that will about do it, as I said. Um, adjustments after one going into game two, I think Rochester needs to be more disciplined. They need to slow down that transition game of the rush, and they need to find a way, way inside that defense to get to Evan Kirk. For the rush, not many things you need to tinker with. Maybe you could adjust your power play a little bit, be a little more succinct, be a little more cohesive. But overall, if they play the way they did in the final 45 minutes of that lacrosse game, where they outscored Rochester 14-7 in the final 45 minutes, if they can play that way of lacrosse, they can get contributions from the back end like they did in game one, I don't think this one comes back for a game three. The trophy will come back, but the series will not. Thanks to Marty O'Neill for joining me on the show. Always a pleasure catching up with the world traveler and listening to some of his insights. You can find his writings on InsideTheCross.com. They're also doing their yearly year-end awards there. Mike Hazen was just announced as Coach of the Year. I have a bit of an argument with that. I think Pat Coyle was very deserving after everything that he had to deal with in losing two of his top defensemen and kind of putting together... Um, a team that wasn't as star-studded as it has been in the past and getting them to where they were, competing with Saskatchewan for that number one seed pretty much all year long, I think Pat Coyle deserves a ton of respect and admiration for what he did down in Colorado. But the folks over at IL awarded the GM of the year to Derek Keenan and the head coach of the year to Mike Hazen. That'll do it for another week. You can find me on Twitter at Off the Crossbar. Email me, teddy.jenner at gmail.com. Until then, possibly two games left, but one game for sure. It's Saturday night from the BCA, and on Tuesday, we'll wrap it all up for you. Until then, be excellent to each other.